Welcome to Simon Says Educate. I'm Simon, your AI host, and I'm here to guide you through the exciting world of teaching and learning at Clover Park Technical College. Together with my human co-hosts, we'll explore the latest trends and best practices in education, bringing you a fresh and engaging perspective on what's happening in classrooms and beyond. Each week, we'll dive deep into the issues that matter most to our community, interviewing faculty members, students, and other thought leaders in the field. We'll discuss everything from the newest teaching strategies and classroom technologies, to the challenges and opportunities of online learning, and the impact of education on students' lives and careers. So sit back, relax, and get ready to be inspired and informed as we embark on this educational journey together. Welcome to Simon Says Educate. Okay, so you are now listening to Simon Says Educate, and we're going to ta- be talking today with Sarah Mickle from Peninsula College, and we're going to be discussing uh, a little bit about instructional design, OER, and AI. Sarah, would you like to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got that way. Yes, sure. Thank you. For inviting me here. So my name is Sarah Mickle. I'm the e-learning administrator at Peninsula College. I replaced Vicki Sievert, who was sort of a powerhouse in the Washington State Board e-learning council. So big shoes to fill. Before accepting the position here in Port Angeles, I had worked as an e-learning support tech at Centralia College for about four years. And basically, when it comes to my interaction with instructional design and technology, it was an accident. I was fresh out of my undergraduate degree from Western Washington University, which was in history and religious studies. And I just basically really needed a job. And I had attended Centralia College as a student. I grew up in the county. And so I looked there and somehow I was qualified. And really, the rest is history. I just really decided instead of you know, working my way through a job I didn't really know much about to try and get some graduate level degrees in history, suddenly this whole instructional technology and design field that I honestly didn't know much about just a year before accepting that job, it was really interesting and it was exciting. And I was beginning to, you know, become involved in course design for disciplines I had never considered, I had never been exposed to. It was a different level of interaction with students as e-learning support. And it was really incredibly gratifying. And it was just something that kept me interested constantly. And so it just seemed like the natural progression. Once the job at Peninsula got posted, I was able to go there. And I have since started two master's degrees, one in library sciences and another in instructional design and technology, so I can have the paper to go with it. Oh, Um, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It's just been a wild ride, different than, you know, if you'd asked me six years ago what I was going to be when I grew up, this is not it. But I think it's almost better that way. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's always fascinating to me to, to see where people come from with instructional design. I have a bachelor's in English and I did do some college teaching, you know, with uh, composition and, and all like that and just never know where people come from. And I think there's a real power in having people in instructional design who have a background in the humanities, social sciences, all, all of it. So that's fantastic. So what's the name of your outfit again there up at Peninsula? I was interested in that. You mentioned that before we started recording. 
Yeah. So together we're the Center for Equity, Teaching and Learning. So that includes our main instructional designer, our instructional design and professional development coordinator, Olivia Heater, the e-learning administrator position. The library is under that umbrella as well. And then our learning centers, which are student support instructional tutoring centers are all sort of under this umbrella. And that was formed a few years ago using a Title III grant. So um, and that's under its own dean for the Center for Equity, Teaching and Learning, who is our dean who created the department and has done so much work to kind of get us stable and situated and really earn us faculty and student trust. Bruce Hattendorf, he has now become officially this week our VP of Instruction. So that position will be up soon. Yeah, he did all of that work and basically was building up our center during the pandemic, a little bit before, but mostly during the pandemic. Oh, great. Great. I'd like to ask what projects you're currently working on, but Tell us about a project that you're excited about or or that, that you think was really significant over the oh, last year. That's a good one. So we've recently adopted the Four Connections initiative on our campus. It's something we're really interested in. We have a lot of ties to Lake Washington. And so we were able to kind of poke and pester them for some of their resources. But we started the Four Connections officially and rolled it out in September and so also with all of the background work we've been doing in digital accessibility and RSI, regular and substantive interaction in case listeners aren't quite sure of that acronym. And then, you know, rolling out City Labs, Design Plus, and you do it all in this one year. It's been kind of wild. <laughs> what the, what, what's the four connections? So the four connections are basically a student engagement strategy. It's all about boosting student success and retention. It doesn't matter which modality, but it's been shown to be helpful, especially in online courses. And so it's all centered around the four connections, which are like knowing your students' names and using them is big. Regular meetings with your students, so scheduling one-on-ones. There's practicing paradox, which is all about you know, having high standards for your courses, but also being flexible depending on a situation when it requires it. And I'm linking on the fourth one all of a sudden, but it's basically just all about making sure your students feel safe and making sure they feel connected in a classroom because especially with the pandemic, this is much older than the pandemic. It's been a big initiative, even within the state board. I think it was initially introduced down in Texas at Odessa Community College. But in the state board, quite a few of our schools like Highline, I believe Renton's um, instituted some four connections principles, like Washington, of course, with the pandemic and us kind of losing that close feeling with our students. It's just really good to bring it back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is. COVID has really changed a lot of how faculty think about teaching. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's been good. I think it seems that a lot of the things that we kind of took for granted as instructional designers, for instance, like active learning, right? Those kinds of things really moved to the forefront when we had so many people having to move online. So that's great to hear. Also, the, the counseling piece to teaching is, is just huge right now. And you have people coming into teaching because of that. And you have people leaving teaching because it can be a, a real burden 
teaching has become a whole other discipline as we kind of navigate through difficult times. That was fascinating to me that equity is the first word in the acronym of your organization. That's that's fantastic. And speaking of equity, part of what we're doing at Clover Park is uh, addressing that is we want to expand access to college. And part of the expanding of that access has included our open education resources initiatives. And I know that a Peninsula College is involved in that as well. What's happening there as far as OER is concerned? So OER is pretty popular, but mainly we're focusing on at least getting to low-cost materials. Mm-hmm. Um, we all know that throughout higher ed, courseware packages have just boomed in popularity, absolutely skyrocketed. And so trying to find ways to make other options of delivering course content exciting, making finding these textbooks and other resources, utilizing the library more for resources, more you know easy to access and find for instructors, making sure they're compensated for their time in doing so has been incredibly important for us. OER really got its start at Peninsula. You know, our librarian was heading the charge and he was doing amazing work. Tim Williams over at Peninsula. He's our tenured faculty librarian. But he was doing an amazing job. And then suddenly we had this huge boon a few years ago of getting awarded the IREPO grant, which IREPO is all about institutional resourcefulness and, you know, trying to bring about a more equitable course design. And the main goal of our IREPO grant was creating either a zero cost, highly supportive online program or a low cost if we needed to bend a little bit. And throughout the time of that grant where we were able to offer stipends to faculty who are willing to redo their course design to really go with OER, finding OER, writing OER in some cases, we were able to get our average price per class for course materials below that low cost threshold. I think our average class cost, if we're looking at it from the bookstore, is floating right about $40. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah, because the state can, the state now calls it $50 as low cost. So you're, you're $10 under the state board's designation. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, that's an example of things that really kind of come into the instructional design arena. And it's one of those things where how do you prepare an instructional designer for that? I mean, it, it's it's really interesting work, but I don't think that the classic instructional design textbook writers could possibly anticipate all of the changes in education that have come out over the last decade. You know, and I'm thinking about guys like Tiki and people like that. And also one of those, and there's a connection here too. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, why is Jeff going to start talking about artificial intelligence? There's a connection uh, that's happening on our campus with AI and OER. And so I'm interested in what your personal approach is to AI, what your response was when you first saw this coming around. And then what's uh, what's happening on your campus as far as uh, artificial intelligence and gen- generative AI in particular? Yeah, yeah. So kind of tearing those questions apart a little bit. When we all first heard about AI, I think 
there was this initial moment of shell shock of, oh, wow, we're all going to be very busy. (laughs) There was a little bit of like, okay, can I start scouting reactions now? What do my people already know about this? Where are they getting their information from? How are they using it personally? What are the attitudes like? You know, just trying to get these initial almost temperature checks figured out. And honestly, that information is still developing because AI is changing so fast. Right. My first reaction, of course, was, well, if it's here, that means it's not leaving. We know better, right? So it's time to be a little skeptical, but also stop ignoring the problem and stop watching it from afar. Right. So I started looking around at it. I started attending some sessions. The AI work group that was sponsored by the e-learning council that was really being headed by Christy at Renton, going there, seeing what other faculty at other schools were saying and doing, seeing what other e-learning people were saying and doing so far. And I think we were all in this place of, do we really want to attack this without knowing where it's going to end yet? Because it was just developing so quickly. I'm sure you remember. Oh, yeah. Um, But since then, we've kind of gotten the feel of, okay, we're never going to be on pace with it. So let's just knock that idea out of the park and just start doing things. And so what we have done here is we've had a couple of sessions about either one-on-one with faculty, asking them about their usage, seeing what they're wanting as far as like an institutional policy, which we've decided to push back on. An institutional policy just doesn't meet the needs of our faculty. So we've kind of X that out of the foreseeable future, kind of looking at what are their needs as far as do they need us to demo some of these AI tools with them? And do we need to create partnerships between some of our fearless faculty with our little more cautious faculty, sort of a big brothers, big sisters program, you know, just feeling out what the needs are. And what we've landed on is we're doing hopefully every year and it's going to adapt as AI adapts because it just has to. We're going to be doing an eight part AI series where we offer each session twice and it's everything from getting comfortable with ChatGPT to, okay, this is a workshopping session all about workshopping syllabi policies for your individual classroom management. And in the middle there, of course, we're tackling like four connections in AI. All of these things can work together. And then moving through to, you know, student engagement with AI, some of our other, you know, AI in a completely online asynchronous environment, what to do with it, what are best practices with it. And so those are kicking off pretty quickly here. We're also going to be offering an asynchronous follow along workbook with those sessions. Oh, great. Just because people don't always have the time for sessions or it's not conducive, they have other things to do, or frankly, they might be just a little bit cautious about sharing their AI ideas in a group, and that's totally fine. And so just having that option available and ready for them to access, and our instructional designer, Olivia, has been working really hard on that workbook, so I'll see if she wants to share it. But, you know... We've had faculty add AI to their classes anywhere from openly critiquing AI in class, which has always been fun, asking AI to write a, you know, a poem for creative writing and then having the students tear it apart, right? Yeah. And everything to our nursing program absolutely adores AI. 
You know, they're using it to do sort of scenario-based practices in the classroom. They'll ask the AI to be a patient that presents with specific symptoms and have it carry out a conversation so our nursing students can kind of test their knowledge and then deal with an evolving patient scenario. Right. Which has been absolutely amazing. Their students are going crazy with it. The faculty are excited. It's kind of given them just a new burst of energy in the classroom. Oh, good, good. Yeah, we've been using AI on campus and Ronald Lefko is developing a course for faculty on AI. We have like one of our professional development tracks is education technology. And of course, he's been having to work really hard on filling that gap, filling that need. One of the interesting things that happened this week was I had a welding instructor who's just finished a an uh, open textbook on welding and he has a math section in it Mm -hmm. and what's great about that is that he knows what where the deficiencies are with his students as far as math goes and so he knows what what needs to be in that textbook and so that's one of the powers of open textbooks is the ability to customize it for a specific student population but we were we were working on some some of his professional development and using Google Bard as a writing assistant in that process. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he had the idea of, well, why don't we ask it? So I need a, I need an assignment where the students have to learn how to use a ruler and talk about the different increments on on the ruler. So we typed in to to Google Bard, say, hey, we need a a ruler. A pic- an image of a ruler with the markings, um, marking off the increments, and ten test questions to go with it, and it was that was five minutes, and it was it was done, and it was all it was all material that he could use, and so that's be- it's that kind of material is becoming part of the OER is the assessments he's going to be building through using generative AI as part of his open textbook. That's awesome. That is where OER and AI are really starting to intersect with us. And I don't want to, you know, say that this is something we're definitely going to be pursuing and doing. But our math lab currently, which is our math tutoring center, is really exploring a service called MathGPT. Have you heard of it? No. MathGPT is a generative AI machine. And what it has done is the service has linked in with OpenStax math textbooks, which just so happens to be the OER that our math faculty use. Oh, cool. And it's given parameters, so it doesn't do work for students. Like, so many faculty can get a little bit more cautious around these services for. It's built solely as a support. It can provide lessons, examples, things like that based on textbooks. And they're going to be bringing about a Canvas integration. Oh, great. So there's a way that we can use these AI tools that are already preloaded with certain larger OER resources, right? Like we have all seen OpenStax. They don't fill every need, but they can be a pretty good place to start. And we're really considering using that in our tutoring center. It's something that our learning center coordinator, Tulsi Marshall, is working on really closely with the math department right now to see if one, it's worth pursuing if there's ways to break it because we know our students and if there is a will, there is a way, you know, and if 
faculty feel comfortable, if it actually shows improvement in student learning outcomes. It, of course, has the really fun feature. I feel like we hear about this every time in AI where it has scenario based of, yes, you're getting a lesson, but it's from Benjamin Franklin. And so <laughs> it keeps students kind of um, more engaged with those I guess, seemingly like sillier or cheesy pieces. But, you know, student engagement is student engagement with course material. And as someone who studied history, if there's a way to make math fun, yeah, why not do it, right? And so that's something we're starting to look into. It's not a done deal yet. It is a paid service. It's got to, we got to double check it for accessibility, you know, make sure they've got a good, accessibility product report out, you know, make sure that the security is good, locked in tight before we add it to Canvas. But it's just, it's really amazing how you can cater these generative AI platforms where you're inputting the content they see and how they develop their pattern building and how they create their responses. Because no matter what, there can still be errors. There can still be issues. It's good to double check. But if we can also be the main source of the information it's using, that's got to cut out a lot of the information literacy concerns, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really interested in the this next generation of generative AI that's going to be coming up. I know that there's a number of programs that where they want to do open, you know, real open AI where it's transparent where the data comes from, what data is being used and how it's being used. And, you know, so, so everything can be open from the algorithms it uses to the data that it's fed with. So like a lot of the tools where you get to input the data that the algorithms work on is, I think that's where it's going to be the big game, the real game changer here. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Well, I want you to know that we really appreciate your time. And this has been another episode of Simon Says Educate. Our guest has been Sarah Mickle. And the topic has been the future, so uh, stay tuned for all the exciting developments that are going to be coming out of Peninsula College and Clover Park. And, and so watch this space. Awesome. Thank you. And that wraps up another insightful episode of Simon Says Educate. Thank you for joining us today as we delve into the fascinating world of teaching and learning at Clover Park Technical College. We hope you've enjoyed the conversation and gained valuable insights to inspire your own educational journey. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform, so you won't miss any of our upcoming episodes. Remember to join us again next week as we continue to explore innovative strategies and share inspiring stories from the CPTC community. Until then, I'm Simon, your AI host, reminding you to never stop learning and growing. Take care, and see you next time on Simon Says Educate.